Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Joe Bishop, and this is number 15 of the Respero Podcasts. Respero is an organization that uh, helps people in their pursuit of emotional and relational and mental and spiritual health and wholeness. And we are looking at the stories of the Bible that give us great insights into those things and uh, help us understand how we were made, how we were created, and what a what human flourishing looks like. And today in this podcast, we're looking at the story of someone who is struggling with his own worth and identity. He's been given a, a great task, an important job to do, but he doesn't believe he's up to this task. He doesn't believe that he has what it takes, and so he's struggling with his calling. And this is Moses, and uh, on our last podcast, we looked at the beginning of the story of Moses in the book called Exodus in the Hebrew Bible, and we want to pick up in this podcast in Exodus chapter 3, the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, but let me remind you what's, what's happening in Moses' life. Moses's or just Moses? Not sure about that. I think just Moses, come to think of it. <laughs> so, Moses was born at a time when God's chosen people, uh, the people of Israel, were slaves in Egypt, and they were becoming a threat to the ruler of Egypt and to the governing people there in Egypt because they were growing and expanding in number. And so Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, had, had issued a law that all male babies were to be executed. A horrible, terrible, violent way to try to stay in power and in control and very much part of the way the world works. But this one Hebrew baby boy named Moses is spared, is rescued, and we saw how he is dramatically not just spared, but also actually brought into the household of, of Pharaoh himself by Pharaoh's daughter, raised there, gets the best education in this richest and most powerful uh, household really in the world at that time. And then as he grows up and becomes a man, he knows he's not an Egyptian. He knows he's part of the people of Israel. He's caught between two different worlds, two different uh, peoples, nationalities, races, and he doesn't feel like he fully belongs to either one, and he tries to take matters into his own hands. He tries to rescue the people of Egypt. Israel, but he does it through violence, and he is discovered and has to go on the run, and he's exiled out into the middle of the wilderness in a place called Midian, which is in the Sinai Desert in the middle of nowhere, uh, directly east of Egypt, and that's where he's at when we get to the beginning of chapter 3. He's now uh, at a time in his life where he's uh, in middle age or even getting into an older period of his life and the scriptures tell us that he's married now he has a son 
But this is a man who, whose life started with the expectation of great things. And now he's in the middle of nowhere. He's nobody. He's a shepherd. That's how he's making his living, so to speak. And he has a family and, by all indications, um, a good family. But he's in the wilderness and... So life has not turned out the way he expected it to. And let's just take a minute and think about what that must be like for him in some sense emotionally. He's now experiencing a lot of solitude. Initially, there had to be an incredible period of just disorientation and grieving, grieving the loss of what he'd had, not just the luxury and power that he enjoyed, but also the loss of the expectation that he was going to do something significant, that he was going to be used by God in a very significant way. And he tried, and it didn't work. And we would say that he, he tried to use violence, and his, his method uh, simply was not the way that God wanted him to go about this. So he failed. And he's now out there in the wilderness, and he knows he's failed, and he doesn't know what his future is going to be like. And so the disorientation, the disillusionment, the grieving, the confusion about what happened, about his own worth and value and identity, is very, very real, very, very strong. He misinterpreted the way he was supposed to go about his, his task, his calling. And so this, this struggle of believing in your own worth and identity, this struggle of, of disorientation and disillusionment about what God is up to in your life is, by the way, a, a, a struggle that many, many people are having these days in uh, American Christianity. I know and I talk to many people who are really struggling, really grappling with um, just the reality of not being sure where they fit anymore, not being sure what they believe anymore, of, of feeling like their faith has kind of unraveled. Uh, you may, some of you listening may feel like you, this is your experience right now. You may feel like you're in the wilderness uh, because you're not sure what you believe anymore about God or about the Bible, about your faith. Um, as one writer puts it, who's uh, done a lot of work on this, um, around this issue and had this experience herself, she writes, um, you have more than a few I don't knows. She says that um, she gives a list of uh, things that people may identify with if they're feeling like they're in the wilderness in a similar situation to Moses. You have more than a few I don't knows. Almost anything related to faith feels up for grabs. And your questions and doubts keep leading to just many more questions and doubts. Uh, you long to feel some kind of connection to God again. But it's a real struggle, and it doesn't feel like God is close. 
Often you wish you could shove all the mess back into a box and put the lid on it, but you realize it's too late for that. You may be experiencing some anger about the past and wondering how your life got to this place, in your spiritual life at least. And you just don't know how to describe to other people what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And other people don't know what to make of you. Maybe your family, maybe people that were part of your church family. Many people, by the way, who have been hurt in a church experience uh, and are deeply disillusioned, uh, have the same kind of struggle, feel like they're now disconnected. And it's very disorienting, and it's very hard, and it makes you question everything, it makes you question um, what God is up to. And I believe this is what was happening in Moses' life, at least initially. And maybe as the years went by, he just, you know, stopped trying to figure it out or got numb. We don't really know, but we do know that by the time God chooses to intervene again in Moses' life and call Moses directly back to this task that God had for him that Moses didn't believe that he was ready for it, that he could do it. Here's how the story then unfolds in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 3, We're all familiar with this story about Moses and the burning bush. And whatever, whatever you might believe about the, whether or not this was a historical event or just a deeply true uh, expression of, of an encounter with God that Moses had, the story in the Bible tells us that God came to Moses one day and got his attention through a bush that was burning but didn't seem to burn up. And Moses comes to take a closer look at this, and God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. And God says, Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses was afraid. He's in the presence of God. Something is happening that is very disruptive, and Moses is afraid. We all would be. And God tells him that essentially now the time has come, that now God wants to use Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt to freedom to the land that God had given them, had promised to them in Israel, and that now was the time. And he says, so now Moses, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses' response to that is, is to say, whoa, who am I that I should go to Egypt and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world? And so Moses basically says, uh, 
I'm not the right guy. I'm not the right person. I don't have what it takes. And God's response is basically just to say, it doesn't matter who you are. I am with you. That's what God says in, in verse 12. When Moses objects and says, who am I? God says, I will be with you. That's the answer. He doesn't, um, he doesn't say, you're right, Moses, you don't have what it takes, or no, you're great. He simply says, the most important thing is that I will be with you. And then Moses says to God, well, suppose I go to the leaders of Israel and say, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they say, what God? What's his name? Which God are you talking about? Then what shall I tell them? So Moses' second question to God is basically, who are you? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. He reveals his personal name to him. And this is a very significant moment, actually, in the progression of Scripture because God now reveals uh, a more personal name, uh, a deeper revelation of himself, and he says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. This is the name by which I want to be known and remembered from now on, from generation to generation. It's a, it sounds like a strange name. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. You might be familiar with that. And it's just this kind of verb form of I am. And so God is telling Moses, this is who, this is who you are to name me to the Israelite leaders. Yahweh. Now, when you see in, in your English translation of the Bible, Lord, spelled in all caps, kind of this strange uh, all caps, but kind of small capitals, a big L and then smaller O-R-D, anytime you see that, that's Yahweh. That's what's in the actual text of the Bible. And it's been translated in our English Bibles as Lord, which sort of loses something, I feel like. Throughout the centuries, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, have, have refrained from uh, actually even saying the name of God because they wanted to, to be so reverent and consider his name holy. Uh, but there's something beautiful about God revealing a, a, a more personal name. And essentially a name that, that reveals that he has always been. He's so much greater than this created universe. And that he is the creator who has always been. When Jesus, by the way, identified with this, that's when the, the Jews of Jesus' day uh, decided that this was heresy and he was so clearly identifying himself as God. So anyway, back to Moses. God says, now's the time. I want you to lead my people. This great calling, this great task I'm giving you, Moses. And Moses says, who am I? God says, I will be with you. Moses says, who are you? God says, uh, Yahweh. I am who I am. 
Now go, Moses, go to Egypt, go to the leaders of my people in Egypt and tell them that I have heard their cry and I'm going to uh, free them from slavery and I'm going to use you to do it. And they'll listen to you. They will. And he gives him instructions on what to say to them and what to say to, um, to Pharaoh. But, but now, now we're at the beginning of chapter 4. After God speaks for a while, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And, and they say, uh, this Lord did not appear to you. So Moses basically comes back with kind of a third objection or a third question. What if it doesn't work? What if they don't believe me? What if it doesn't go well? Uh, then what? What if I fail? This sounds risky, God. I don't, I don't think it's going to work. Why would they believe me? Moses, we don't know, by the way, if Moses had had any or much contact with his family, with people back in Egypt. It wasn't tremendous distance geographically, but in terms of uh, how far away it was from the, the center of action, uh, it was very far away, Midian, where he was. So there wasn't travel, there wasn't uh, people coming through probably very much from Egypt. So we don't know if Moses knew what was happening in Egypt. Probably he had some contact, we think, uh, because of what's what we're told later. But after all these years now, being out there in the wilderness, Moses doesn't know if people remember him and who he is, and he's just afraid. He's afraid that it won't work. He doesn't want to do this. So he asks God, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And, and God says, well, I'm going to give you some, um, some power. I'm going to show that if they don't believe, if they need proof, uh, essentially, I will give you some miraculous powers to be able to uh, change the way your staff is. I'll have you throw your staff on the ground, your big cane, your staff, meaning a, a shepherd's staff. And God basically tells Moses, look, I will prove that I am with you to them. I will give proof. Don't worry about this. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you stranded or without, without power. There will be some ways for you to prove, in other words, that I have sent you, that I am with you, and that you have my power. And God runs through some, some things that he wants Moses to do and say so that they will believe him. And by the time we come to chapter 4, verse 10, God has said enough. But Moses still says to the Lord, Oh, Lord, even with all this proof and even, even with the promise of God being with him, Moses says, Listen, I have never been eloquent. Oh, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. 
another objection, another I don't have what it takes, another I'm not the right guy, I can't do this, I don't want to do this. Who am I to, I'm just not good at public speaking, God. Which is very ironic because we are told, we talked about this in the, in the last podcast, we are told that actually Moses was powerful in speech and action when he was a younger man. So I don't know if Moses has forgotten those days or if he's just so desperate for a reason, an excuse not to have to go, but he does not believe that he has what it takes. He does not believe that even with God, he has what it takes to do this. So he objects. He says, Lord, I'm not. I've never been eloquent. And, and then... God says to him, look, Moses, who gave people their mouth, their ability to speak? Who takes that away? Who gives people their sight or, or takes their sight away? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And then Moses says, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. So God's being patient and basically saying to all of Moses' objections, to all his doubts and ways of expressing that he doesn't feel like he has what it takes, God says to him, yes, you do, because I will be with you. I will empower you with me. You are enough, Moses. You really are enough. But even with all that, Moses basically says, please send somebody else. I don't want to do it. And then it's interesting. It says the Lord's anger burned against Moses. So God's frustrated at this point with Moses. With Moses' objection and not wanting to believe in God, not wanting to have the faith to believe that God will be enough for him. And it says, the Lord's anger burned. Now, that would be a scary thing. Uh, and, and in some sense, you might expect God to just say, okay, the Lord's anger burned, so forget you, Moses. I will find somebody else. You blew it. You've had your chance. That's kind of how we think many times we think God feels about us. That he's just disappointed or frustrated or angry at us because of our failures, because of our unwillingness to believe him and live our lives by faith. But what God actually says at this point is surprisingly soft, given that it says his anger burned against Moses. And he said, well, what about your brother, Aaron? I know he can speak well. He's already coming out to meet you. And he's going to be really excited to see you. And you know what? He can help you. He's good at speaking. And I'm not going to let you off the hook, Moses. You are my guy. You are the person who is going to do this. But I will make a concession to your concerns and... I'll give you a friend, your brother, to help you. And that's how God responds 
when he's angry and, and frustrated with Moses. And that should be an encouragement to us because it's hard for us to believe that anger and love can coexist. It's hard for us to believe that, that certainly that God can be angry or frustrated with us and yet still love us and still believe in us and still see us the same way. But God's love um, is never shut down by anger. The presence of anger does not mean the absence of love, particularly in God. God never stops loving or believing in us, even when we don't believe in him or we don't believe in ourselves uh, or his ability to help us. So God comes to Moses at a time in his life when Moses feels weak, when Moses feels like he does not have what it takes, when he's struggling with his identity, with his worth and value. And God says, I want to use you now. And Moses objects, and so much like many of us. It's hard for us to believe that when we're in, in a period of what feels like weakness, or doubt, or discouragement, or disillusionment, we don't even know what we believe, that that is when God is still going to show up for us. He still believes in us. He still says that we have great worth and value and that he loves us and that he's going to use us, use us to do great things more than we could ever imagine. And he speaks into our insecurities. And the reason why this is so important and insightful for our health in so many ways is, is because we struggle with insecurity. We struggle with insecurity about our identity and about our worth and value. Insecurity is the root cause of just about everything we struggle with in relationships. Not believing that we are deeply loved, that we are deeply valuable, is the root cause of, in many ways, all of our divisions. All of our lack of unity um, because we feel like we have to figure out ways to divide so that we can be better than or tell ourselves we are because we're insecure. Insecurity about our worth leads to struggles with shame and codependency and anxiety and pornography and all kinds of other things. And that's why this story, as, as do so many other stories in the Bible, speak directly to us that God's word to us is that he is with us. We have what it takes because he is with us. And the, the creator God of the universe wants to reveal himself to us, wants us to know him and trust him and do great things in the world for him. But our worth and value isn't dependent on what we do. It's on the fact that God loves us. And so when, when we suffer and struggle because we don't believe that, we are suffering for the wrong reasons. And that's one of the things that for myself personally in my ministry and for our organization of Respero, uh, we embrace 
what the great writer Henry Nouwen said, that it is the job of the counselor pastor to help people not suffer for the wrong reasons. So even if you feel like your, your faith has, uh, there's been an earthquake and you've kind of lost your mooring, you've, you're kind of unraveling, you've been hurt or disillusioned, you're not sure what you believe about God or where you stand with God, God is with you. Uh, I had an experience 10, 12 years ago when, uh, after being a pastor for decades, I decided, um, uh, well, to be honest with you, I just decided that we didn't, I didn't really believe in the way we were doing church anymore. I'd been through one more really difficult, really disillusioning experience that wasn't really directed at me, but just an experience where uh, I saw a church kind of fall apart and a lot of ugliness. And I decided that um, I stayed with that church. I stayed in a pastoral role at that church for quite a while, over a year. But um, I'd made a promise to the elders that I would stay until they found uh, another person to be the lead pastor. And when they did, that guy came and he was a good guy, but after a few months I decided I had fulfilled my commitment to the church and I needed to, to have a time away from being a pastor and to rethink what I believed. And so I wasn't sure what that was going to be like. Too much of my identity I feared was wrapped up in being um, you know, my job and being a pastor and I wasn't sure what it would mean for my relationship with God. But over that next year, and really up to this day, I've been on a journey of rethinking what I believe about what God is like, who Jesus is, um, the Bible, the gospel, politics, hell, the end times, you name it, just about everything. And it's been a very freeing experience. It hasn't been easy all the all the time. Um, I've re-engaged with church in different forms and <laughs> disengaged with church um, a few times in those 10 or 12 years. And But the journey has been a good one. And I feel not that I've arrived, not that I'm still not seeking in many ways, but I feel much more secure about the goodness of God towards me and his love for me and that my worth and value is rooted in, in God. And I've got a ways to go to live that out in my daily life and my relationships, but many people are on that journey. It's a good journey. Don't be scared uh, if you feel like you're in the wilderness because God is with you. So we will pick up uh, with the next story of Moses in our next podcast. The Lord, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, may he bless you and keep you. And may you know that he is with you. May he make his face shine upon you, make his presence real to you, and give you peace.